A reading from Exodus 34. Now the Lord said to Moses, Cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablet the words that were on the former tablets, which you shatter. So be ready by morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No man is to come with you, or let, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went to Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded. And he took two stone tablets in his hand. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Moses made haste to bow low to the earth and worship. He says, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate. Pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your own possession. Then God said, Behold, I am going to make you a covenant before all your people. I will perform miracles which have not yet been produced in all the earth nor among any of the nations. And all people among whom you live will see the working of the Lord. For it is a fearful thing that I am going to perform for you. Be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I am going to drive out the Amorite before you and the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Levite, and the Jebusite. Watch yourself, that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather, you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their Asherah. For you shall not worship any other god, the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they would play the harlot of their gods and sacrifice their gods. And someone might invite you to eat of this sacrifice. And you might take some of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters might play the harlot with their gods, and call your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. You shall make yourself no molten gods. This is the word of the Lord. Reading from John 14, verses 15 through 22. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of the Lord. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and you, and he will be within you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps 
is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Father, thank you so much for the love that you have for us. The invitation to know you in a deep and real and lasting and true way that you have We ask this morning that you would bless the reading and hearing of this word that we might grow in you. And we thank you together in Jesus' name. Amen. Beautiful congregation. Praise the Lord. You know, I don't know if maybe you know someone with this story, a story like this. She and her boyfriend decided to do this together, but they never got married, and after a while, they just didn't get around to it. She's been living in the house that he owned before they got there together, and the deeds of his man. He keeps saying that he's going to leave the house to his children, but his kids never lived there. I mean, when the front porch needed fixing, she was the one who did it. When it needed staining, she was the one who did it. When the floors needed scrubbing, she was the one who did it. She's worked for years to maintain a household that she really has nothing to show for. As they kind of grow apart, she wonders if I left, where could I go? If he dies, what would I have? These situations are a reality because while love never fails, people do. Covenants exist to demonstrate what love should be and to take care of the parties when love fails. When a marriage covenant is made and kept, the parties are offered three things that they hope for and long for and, and often attain. A promise of presence, a, prom a promise of family, and a promise of home. In other words, covenants are God's way of keeping us from being homeless, forgotten, and alone. A covenant is a pledge between two persons or two parties. And basically it's saying this, and we've heard variations of this at altars many times before. With all that I am and all that I have, I love you and honor you and work for your good. And neither party bases their pledge on the pledge of the other. And as long as the parties do all that they are able, it's beautiful. And this is why even some of us who would never admit it watch movies like The Notebook and we cry. Because there is something wonderful about seeing one party keep the promises of a covenant when the other is unable to. See, we're all, when we're, you know, when we're weak, when we're broken, we lose 
things get cold and they're able, it's beautiful. It's never about because more, it's never about who's less. It's never about a commodity, it's about love and commitment. A contract says, let's split it down the middle. A covenant says, everything I've got, I give you. At the heart of God's saving work for you is a covenant. We have been talking for the last week and continuing to talk today about what it means to have God's presence in our midst. And what I subscribe to you this morning is that a covenant is God's mean of promising His presence to us. That connected to the sacrifice of Christ is also this idea of a covenant. We think about kind of sacrifice of Christ, we think of rules that we do. But the part that we miss is both of these serve one thing. They serve a covenant that God has made with you. In this covenant that God has established with the blood of His Son, this is what He said to you. I pledge to care for, honor you, and work for your good with all that I am and all that I have. The King of the universe says that to you. And he says, all that I ask is that you do the same to me. And if we think about it, this is a covenant between two very unequal parties. God's resources and power are a lot stronger than mine, and a lot stronger than mine or yours. His resources outweigh ours. And in Christ we receive eternal presence, eternal family, and an eternal home. And our contribution might seem small to those promises of God, but for God it's never been about what we can do. It's never been about that. It's always been about the love. It's always been about the commitment. And that's what a covenant is. It's a commitment that is so strong that intimacy can grow there. Here's the, the first thing I wanted to say to you God is curious to love through a covenant. The second thing I want to say to you is this that God, in His covenant, makes His same work a present reality. Through the covenant, God's saving work becomes a present reality. In other words, God saves us for our relationship. We've been saying uh, for the last few weeks as we've looked at the Passover and we've looked at uh, Resurrection Sunday, we've been saying that the Exodus is the pattern for what God does for us in this covenant. Because the first thing that happens is they were saved by the blood of the Lamb and brought out of bondage into freedom. And they were brought from there to Sinai. And when they got to Sinai, God made a covenant with them. And what God did was to make it possible for them to, to know and Him walk with Him. It's the sacrifice that made it possible. It's the covenant that makes it continually. In Exodus 34, the, the text that Luke's read for us this morning, we heard about God's loyal love. It's loyal love that was revealed to Moses after God's people had broken the covenant with him. Because of that covenant, because of God's faithful love that underscores that covenant, though God's presence was outside of the camp and they had to go outside to meet him, 
God would move again and place his presence in the midst of the camp so that he would be in the center of God's people. In that same relationship, we come to know Jesus Christ as we love him as we do what he calls us to do. Perhaps you remember in the book of Revelation that, that Jesus speaks to the church of Ephesus and he says, If you don't repent and obey me, I'm going to remove your lamp from the lampstand. And he's sticking 
with us. I always remember this story that I heard about the woman who got upset with her husband, and she starts packing her things, and he says, what are you doing? And she's packing her suitcase, and goes up, and he gets out of the suitcase, and he starts packing it too. And she says, what are you doing? He says, I'm going with you. That's what love does. There's one who sticks closer than a brother to you. When it, the one who knows you best loves you most. That's what covenant love does, and it deepens as we go. Love Jesus. Obey Jesus, and you'll know, you'll encounter, you'll experience the presence of God, you'll experience the life of God. I want us to see this kind of pattern in the book of Exodus. God saved Israel from bondage by the blood of the Lamb. He made a covenant with Israel. They have pledged to obey Him. And then God instructed them to build the tabernacle and set up so that his presence could rest in the midst. Church, there is a saving event. We have been saved at the cross by the blood of the Lamb, but we enter that salvation by a covenant. We give our lives to him. As we obey him, our gathering place becomes a resting place for his glory as he speaks to us and he guides us. And we're unified in worshiping him and working to his glory and inviting others to know him. And we argue, is this about grace or works? Is this about the sacrifice or the rules? Wrong! It's about the covenant that the sacrifice and the rules make possible. In other words, it's all about grace. It's all about grace. Jesus' covenant that he makes with us comes with a command that we have to obey. And you grace it. You grace for it. You try to get ready for it. You say, Lord, what could it be? You know, you always say the last instructions you're going to give people for the last moment, right? So that they'll remember what you do if you told them to do. When, if you ever leave your kids at home, you say, on your way out, and whatever you do, don't answer the door to strangers, right? You give them the most Give your kids before you go out. You always say that most of my instructions are last. Well, here's Jesus getting ready to go back to the Father, and he's got one more instruction for us, and he says, Here it is, get ready. And that's the basis on which there's a direct line from the cleft in the rock. 
And it's that the love of the Father that is eternal and kind and compassionate is the love by which we enjoy love one another. And so I want to tell you this. If we think that the Christian life is an individual experience of Jesus' salvation punctuated by periodic gatherings, we have it wrong. The Christian life is a covenant which makes it corporate, communal, and continual. If you think of the Christian life as the moment that Jesus washed away your sins, but not in continually conforming our lives to his will, we've also got it wrong. He invites us into a love relationship and for eternity. It starts now and never ends. If we think that knowing Jesus is kind of an abstraction for walking the aisle, we need to hear this promise again. My Father will love you, and we will make our home in you. God's covenant with you is a present promise that grows to eternal intimacy. He's the suitor that pledges his life to you. He looks in your name and says, I'll never ever be or forsake you. Just say yes to me. And as committed as we are to our independence, to our autonomy and self-sufficiency, the only way to know true freedom is to fully trust your life to Jesus Christ. But what it concerns me is the possibility that we may have come out of Egypt and never gone to Sinai. That we may have said, yeah, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, but we've never said, yes, I give my life to you. And the covenant is the difference between believing in Jesus and belonging to him. His desire is to make you his own. He says to you, all that I have, all that I have, I said for your good. And he listens for a response from you, saying, all that I have, all that I have, I give to your glory. Perhaps you say, I know Jesus, we're good, I'm my beloved, he is mine. Take a moment. Think about this. Think about the person that you envy. Think about the person that you resent. Think about the person that you dislike. Think about the person you are unwilling to forgive. The distance between you and that person is the same as the distance between you and your Savior. And the stronger that that hatred grows, the, the wider the chasm between you and your Savior grows. There's only so much space in you. Every space in your heart that's used up with bitterness or anger or self-justification is simply less room for Christ's presence in your life. Philippians chapter 2 says that 
that although Christ was God, that he emptied himself to save you. And yet how unwilling are we to empty ourselves of hatred, bitterness, frustration, self-justification, empty ourselves of those things to serve him? I want to ask you, are you his? Do you know the joy and the security of belonging to him? Is it evident in your life as you're growing in love and forgiveness and generosity and telling others about it? That's the call he invites you to. But something even more. He invites you into the place of knowing the security of his love. If you don't know that today, it's, it's simple to know. It's a simple saying my life I've been living for myself. I get to enter into you, knowing your goodness, knowing that your blood is shed on If you've never done that before, I promise you, you will never be the same. You'll just be your love that chases us down and brings us home. For your love that follows us as we walk with you and follows us as we head in the wrong direction. We thank you that your heart's desire and delight is for us and for us to be yours. That your heart's desire is that where you are we might be us. Today we give you our lives and commit ourselves to you. We do it because we need you. We do it because you love us. We do it because those around us need you. And they need us to walk with you. That together we might make it all the way to the home you've promised us. In Jesus' name. Amen.